0: Why don't you take out your Bibles and open back up to Ephesians chapter 5. This is such a wonderful passage. I figured we could do it again this week. If you remember last week, we got into Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 14, and got halfway through it, put a pause on it. So I want to go back tonight and actually finish the last two points that we didn't get to last week. But before we do that, before we get back into the passage, I think it would be good again to just step back, do a little bit of review, and kind of move forward um, into the passage, just kind of, again, an understanding of a proper framework of what we're dealing with here. Starting with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, I just want to go back to this really key phrase, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And that command right there of Paul, as he writes to the Ephesian believers, is critical to our understanding, and it just really forms the whole backdrop for everything that follows in the rest of the passage. Be imitators of God. He has already exhorted them at the end of chapter 4 to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just like God in his Son, Jesus Christ, forgave you. And he says, therefore, because he was kind to you, because he has been so loving to you, Because he has forgiven you, therefore be an imitator of your heavenly father by being kind, loving, and forgiving, first of all, to your fellow believers. He goes on to command them in verse 2 of chapter 5 to walk in love just like Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a sacrifice to God. The first couple of verses again of chapter 5 form the whole backdrop for our understanding and the context through which to view the rest of the chapter. Paul goes on and commands them in the next several verses regarding things to avoid. Here is what you used to be. Here's what you used to act like. Here's what the world outside, the unbelieving world, acts like. You are to avoid these things. Things like sins of the tongue, sexual immorality, and covetousness. Hey, Paul is very clear that believers are to avoid these sins that are not proper for those who seek to be imitators of God. And that's where we jumped in last week to verse 7. And I'd like to go ahead and just pick that up and start and read verses 7 through 14 and then we will get back into it. He says, Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Talking about the unbelievers who partake in these very wicked things that he had listed in the first part of the chapter. Don't be partakers with them because the wrath of God rightly comes upon those who practice these things. So he says, Don't be partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. So walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret." But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. So last week, what we said, if you remember, is that Paul gets, in this passage in verses 7 through 14, there are four clear commands. Those who name the name of Christ... And who are seeking, as all should, to be imitators of their heavenly Father, four commands that they are to follow. And I love the practicality of this passage. If you're a Christian and you want to honor the Lord, here's four things that you ought to be doing in order to make that happen. It's pretty simple, pretty clear. So after he warns them, hey, you stay away from these things, and here's why. He replaced it with now, okay, now here's what you do. And last week, we went over the first two of these commands, and we'll get to the second two this week. Okay, the first command in verse 7 comes when he says, therefore, do not become partakers with them. Do not, Paul says, first of all, be partakers with the sons of disobedience in their sinful practices. And again, this idea of be partakers in their sinful practices, it's not nebulous. You see, he's already put legs to it in the first part of the passage, earlier in the chapter. Avoid those sins of the tongue that the unbeliever is known for. Avoid sexual immorality and avoid covetousness because all sorts of other problems come from that. Okay, so he's very clear and his first command is avoid these things. Stay away. And He's actually going to build on this command later. We didn't get to that last week, but we will get to it this week. These sins characterize the sons of disobedient and rightfully call down the wrath of God. So first of all, he says, you're to be an imitator of God in what you avoid. These things do not reflect the character of your heavenly father. Children ought to reflect the character of their parents. Therefore, if God is your father, this ought not to characterize you. So that was his first command. Don't be partakers with the sons of disobedience in their sinful practices. The second command we see in verses eight and nine. He says, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. The second command that Paul gave them, which we looked at last Sunday evening, was then to walk as children of light. Now that sounds very nice, especially in a world that seems so dark and getting darker as ours is. The idea of light is refreshing. Hey, but Paul does not intend for this just to be, you know, a refreshing idea or a pleasant idea. This is a very practical idea where he says, walk as children of light. We talked about the significance of that light in the scripture. He says, you were one time darkness, but now you are light. Remember, he describes us as being darkness. And not you were in darkness or that you used to be in darkness or you were a part of this, but no, you were. This was your character. But now, your character, your new life in Christ is light. And so walk like it or live like it, act like it. As Christians, we are now light, In the Lord. And again, this is not an abstract concept. He's not just saying, okay, now your light, go live like it. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to live or to walk in light? Well, he tells us in verse 9 again the fruit of light is found in what is good and right and true. The intrinsic goodness, goodness in nature and effectiveness, that which is willingly and sacrificially done for others that is pleasing to the Lord. A righteousness those who have been made righteous by God are commanded to live righteously like we see in first John chapter 2 verse 29 because we know that Jesus is righteous we know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him is Paul effectively saying how do you know that you're walking in the light does your life reflect the righteousness of Jesus Christ do you look like Jesus and obviously we don't do that perfectly Nobody will this side of heaven, but as the general pattern of your life, reflective of your Savior Jesus Christ. Goodness, righteousness, truth, that which is honest, reliable, trustworthy. Do you live with integrity? This is a contrast to the hypocritical, deceptive, and false ways of our old life of darkness. And so Paul gives them the first two commands avoid, don't be partakers with them, with the children of wrath who participate in these sins that I have talked about earlier in the chapter. Walk then as children of light. And that brings us to verse 10 then. For those, again, who name the name of Christ, who should desire to please him, who want to follow the command of chapter 5, verse 1, to be imitators of God, here's the third thing that Paul says you should be doing. Number three, verse 10 says try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The third command is to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, and the unspoken part of that command is then do it. Discern it and do it. Going back to the idea of walk as children of light, as we are obedient to what we know, our knowledge of the Lord and his will increases and deepens. Those who walk in the light and who are faithful to the light are then given more of the light. Spiritual growth begets spiritual growth. Where he says in verse 10, try to discern. This is not a try of, okay, you know, make the best effort that you can and you might get there and you might not. This is more of the idea of pursue this, And it will be granted to you. If this is the goal of your life, to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, and then to act upon it and to put it into practice in your life, you'll get there. You will. This is a promise of God's word. We are to learn and grow in goodness, righteousness, and truth. And this idea of try, instead again of being, well, you know what, just make your best effort and you might get there, you might not, but at least you tried. It's not that. It carries the idea in the original language of proving or testing, trying to discern, looking into the scriptures, digging out what is there, seeing the commands that are there for instance and then proving them in effect by putting them into practice in your life proving them by demonstrating that they are indeed true and valid and applicable to the believer well how do we do that how are we to discern what is pleasing to the Lord well it's a very simple question how has God told us what he desires of us it's in his word right We know what God expects of us as his children when we read the word of God and we understand it. So the whole idea is actually very simple here in verse 10. The whole command. Read the scriptures and do what they say. It's not complicated. It's not intended to be. You see, in discerning what is pleasing to the Lord, we are to search His revelation in the scriptures. We're to try to discern or understand how it applies to us in our individual lives and we are to live in obedience. And we demonstrate then by our obedience to the revealed will of God in the scriptures that we are indeed children of light. There's a very practical aspect to this. You see, in order to do this, We have to make sure that we are spending time reading our Bibles regularly. There's no secret sauce here. There's no magic. If we're to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, well, where has God spoken to us? He's spoken to us in his word. Open it up and read it and do what it says. Again, there's no special mystical secrets to being an imitator of God. Or to walking as a child of light. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Look into His Word. Spend time with Him in His Word. Do your best to understand it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, by that same Holy Spirit, live it out. Pray for grace. Keep working. Where you fail, where you see yourself falling short, when you mess up, get on your knees, ask forgiveness. Lord, help me to do better. Get up and go try it again by the grace of Christ. So try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The fourth command, then, that he gives them is found in verses 11 through 14. He says also, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret but when anything is exposed by the light it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light therefore it says awake O sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you the fourth command here is to expose the works of darkness for those again who desire to be imitators of God to walk in the light first of all don't be partakers with the sons of disobedience, walk as children of light, discern what is pleasing to the Lord and live it out, and then expose the works of darkness. In verse 11, where he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, It could also be translated, do not become a partaker with others in these works of darkness. Now, that sounds pretty familiar, right? And pretty similar, actually, to his first command, where he says, don't be partakers with them. But this fourth command is actually building and kind of expanding that first command that we talked about. A child of the light, yes, should not be involved with evil, even by association, but... It is not enough for a child of the light to simply avoid sinful practices. What he says here in verse 11 is don't just avoid, but expose them. In the same way that when you walk into a dark room, flip the light switch, and it exposes what is in the room, that should be the effect that our goodness, righteousness, and truth that is lived out in our lives should have on the moral darkness around us as followers of Christ. The verb that is translated expose carries the idea of reproof, correction, punishment, or discipline. It's a very active term. So what he is saying here is, yes, it is good and it is right to avoid the works of darkness. But it is not enough It is not pleasing to the Lord simply to just avoid them. It is pleasing to the Lord to avoid them. Don't get me wrong. But we need to go beyond that to be imitators of God. In the same way that Jesus, when he was here on earth, in the same way that his life and his righteousness stood in a stark contrast to the darkness around him, so it is to be with us. And we're not just to do this passively. Although there is a passive aspect... We're to do this actively as well. To merely ignore evil or to keep our distance from it is to encourage it by inaction. It's almost the idea of if you know that evil is occurring and you keep silent about it when you have the ability to speak out and maybe have an effect, in a certain sense we are complicit in that evil. We may not be active participants, but by keeping silent about certain things or certain issues, we are failing to expose the wickedness around us. You see, we are commanded just in these verses to confront sin with intolerance, which includes both verbal and nonverbal opposition, passivity or avoidance, as well as open rebuke at times. We can get a little bit more into what this means, what we're getting at here, but we do want to make a note, first of all, that in order to expose sin, which we will talk a little bit more about here in a minute, if we're going to expose sin, our lives should reflect the holiness that we are calling others to. It's hard to be light when your life does not manifest light, right? If you walk into a room and you flip on the light switch, it does no good if the light bulb is burned out. We don't want to be Christians with the light bulbs burned out. Right? Our light should be visible to others by how we live and the things that we avoid, but also by our words and our actions and our life in the same way that Jesus was. We're to strive to be so mature in the truth That our natural reaction is to expose, rebuke, and offer a remedy for evil. What Paul is commanding us here to is it ought to be the habit of our life to expose the wickedness in the world around us. Understand that this does call for discretion. I don't think that Paul is sitting here saying that we're to just be running around willy-nilly everywhere, pointing the finger at everybody and just yelling about all the things that we think are wrong. That's not what he's commanding us to. There is a time and a place to speak up. There is a time and a place to aggressively confront evil. But one of the things that I too want to remind us of is that in exposing The darkness around us. First of all, one of the key ideas that the New Testament points us to is that our response should be loving. First of all, we should always treat sinners. Lest we think that this command here to expose the works of darkness is an excuse to turn into confrontational, hateful Christians, we need to remember the other commands of the New Testament. That we should treat sinners with respect, not their sin, but the people as fellow human beings and immortal souls who are also created in the image of God. One of my favorite passages that deals with this is in Colossians chapter 4. We'll flip there a minute and we'll read this. Colossians chapter 4 verses 5 and 6, where Paul says again, walk in wisdom towards outsiders making the best use of the time. And then he says in verse six, let your speech, and again, the context here is towards unbelievers. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And again, I I point this out because I know I've come across, I hope that I've never been one, Hey, and I know that many of you in here probably know uh, Christians hey, who take this command and other commands like it to expose the works of darkness and take it to lengths where they become ugly, confrontational people. And we don't want to be that. Hey, now, again, we're making a general statement. Hey, Paul says, let your, let your speech be gracious. Be known even as you are exposing the works of darkness. Be known as a gracious person. Let your speech always be seasoned with salt. Make the best use of the time. And we could go to many other New Testament passages that speak to this end. To the idea of, yes, we are children of light, but we're not children of light because of our own wisdom or because we were better than anybody else or because we were smarter than anybody else. We're children of light because of the grace of God. And it's our desire that God would have grace and mercy on those around us. Okay, so we ought to treat sinners, unbelievers, remembering that they are fellow human beings, they are immortal souls who are created as, just like we are in God's image. So there is that. Make sure that in this exposing of the light that you are still known as gracious people. But the other side of that is we must be gracious, but we must also never compromise truth, right? It is not gracious and it is not loving if we withhold truth. And again, this whole idea of grace in our speech and in when and where we and in how we confront evil. I understand, and again, Scripture shows us there are times to drop the gloves, so to speak, right? There are times when Jesus himself was confrontational, when he used harsh language, for example, towards the religious leaders of his day, when he called them a brood of vipers. Hey, that's not particularly warm and fuzzy, is it? No. And so there were even times when our Lord knew that discretion dictated that towards those who were using their religious power and their influence to oppress and send others to hell, he got very aggressive with those. And I would say there are times where it is good and it is right to aggressively confront evil. But I would say, even in the scriptures, we, we see that that is generally the exception rather than the rule. Let grace rule the day in your speech. Be known as a person of grace. And then when it is necessary, we can aggressively confront in the same way that Jesus did. But again, it is not loving if we withhold truth. None of this is to say... That we are to somehow couch the truth or be ashamed of the truth or temper the truth or hold back the truth just because it might make somebody upset. The command here is not don't make anybody upset. The command is be gracious. The idea here is people are going to be offended. The unbelieving world because they are fleshly because they are not spiritual because they do not have the capacity to really deeply understand the truths of the Word of God, the unbeliever on some level will be offended by the truth of the Word of God. Some more than others and some more obviously than others. But the idea here is if the unbeliever is going to be offended, let them be offended at the truth of the Word. And don't let the offense be caused by you personally. But it is not loving to withhold truth. We face a great deal of pressure and we will face increasingly more in our world today to hold back the truth or to compromise the truth. We know that it is here. We know that more is coming. But we have to understand that love for our neighbor demands that we not back down from the truth that we unashamedly proclaim the truth of the word of God. You could compare it, and I think a good illustration would be the medical field. What if you had a doctor who a patient comes in and says, doctor, I have this symptom and this symptom and this symptom. The doctor listens and says, okay, well, we're going to do this test, we're going to do this test, and we're, we're going to figure this out. And all the tests are run and it comes back to the doctor, test results, this patient has some sort of terminal illness or very severe illness, let's say, that maybe is curable, that there is a remedy for, but the treatment is very long and expensive and painful. And rather than going to the patient and saying, well, here's the results, here's your problem, it's a very serious problem but here it is and here's what we can do to get you on the road to recovery here's how we can treat it instead the doctor goes you know what if i show them these test results they're gonna get kind of upset like that's gonna be unsettling that's gonna be hard to stomach and then if i tell them about the treatment well it's not fun treatment and um It could be painful. I'm probably going to have to inflict a little bit of pain in the course of treatment. And that might not make them happy with me. So instead of telling them this, I'm just going to tell them that everything's fine. We call that malpractice, right? That doctor, if he gets found out, nobody's going to slap him on the back and be like, good job, you made everybody feel good. No, that doctor, if he gets found out, is going to lose his license most likely and may even face criminal charges and rightfully so it's the same way with us we face as christians as the church of jesus christ increasing pressure in our world today when this command comes to expose the works of darkness but if you expose them you're going to be out of step with the culture people are going to be mad at you and right and left We see churches, we see Christians, we see entire denominations compromising, backing down from the truth in the interest of earning the favor of the world. Well, if we do this, then they won't be mad at us. That's not love. It's all done in the name of getting along, in the name of love, in the name of charity. It's all baloney. It's not loving in the same way that that doctor was a terrible doctor We are terrible Christians if we fail to profess and proclaim the truth. We ought to do it as lovingly and as graciously as possible, but we cannot back down. If we are to obey this command to expose the works of darkness, we cannot compromise truth. The deeds of darkness need to be exposed by the light of God's word. Paul says in verse 14, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Our lives are to reflect the light of God's word in such a way that we show the true ugliness of the sin around us. Our lives are righteous lives, goodness, righteousness, truth, like we saw earlier in the passage. Those are the primary ways by which we expose the works of darkness. One of my favorite passages that speaks to this is in Philippians chapter 2. In my Bible, I only have to flip over one page. Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Sound familiar? Very similar language to what he was using here in Ephesians chapter 5. Be blameless and harmless. That's the idea like we talked about before. Let the offense come from the word of God and not from you personally. The idea is the world will be offended. Outside of these walls, there will be those that the truth of the word of God causes offense to. But let it be so that it's the truth of the word of God that when they look at your life, there is nothing that they can point to as being offensive. When it comes to how you treat people and how you relate to people, don't give them anything, don't give them any ammunition that they can use against you to bring down your testimony for the sake of Jesus Christ. What we ought to be doing here is praying for discretion, for wisdom, for grace. Lord, help me to treat those around me with grace in the same way that your son Jesus did But also give me grace not to compromise your truth. Help me to have wisdom when I need to keep my mouth shut and when to speak up. And even when to aggressively speak up and aggressively confront the works of darkness. The second part here of verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light And then the second part, therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. As far as we can tell, this is adapted. Paul is going back to the Old Testament and pulling this from Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, which he likes to do. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now, Isaiah, when he wrote prophetically, in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, expressed the desire for the glory of the Lord. Paul here takes this, pulls it out of the Old Testament, places it in the New Testament context, and shows the prophetic meaning of the text by declaring that the glory of the Lord that Isaiah wrote about is Jesus Christ himself. When he says, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Most commentators agreed that I read that these were the words or like a verse to an ancient hymn that would have been very well known to the Ephesian believers. But the words here are a gospel invitation to those who are not children of light to come to the light and be saved. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Which is the perfect segue to the conclusion of our message tonight. Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ, the glory of the Lord, will shine on you. The invitation to awake is an invitation, a plea, to recognize your sin against God and your need for the Savior, Jesus Christ, who will shine on you. If you repent of your sins and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on your behalf for salvation from and forgiveness of your sins. And that would be my first point as we wrap up this passage tonight. If you are here, if you're watching the streaming online and you do not know Christ, if you have never turned to him and trusted in his life, in his death, in his resurrection on your behalf for forgiveness of sins, I plead with you that tonight you would repent of your sins and follow Christ. Trust him for salvation and you'll know light. As Paul, you won't any longer be, as Paul describes in earlier in chapter five, one of those children of wrath. You will no longer be of the darkness, but you can know the marvelous light of Jesus Christ and life and God the Father through him. And I pray that you would do that without another moment's hesitation. To the believer, as we take a step back and we look at this passage again as a whole, now that we've had time to go through all four of these commands, does your life reflect these commands? Again, it's very simple. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Reflect the holiness of your heavenly Father. Well, how do we do that? Are you partaking with those who indulge in sinful practices? Does your life reflect the light of the Scriptures in word and in deed? Does it reflect the goodness, the righteousness, the truth that we see in the life of our Savior Jesus Christ? Are you daily searching the Scriptures, believer, to discern or to know or to understand or come to a greater knowledge of what is pleasing to the Lord? in order to live a life that is pleasing to him? And does your way of life, does your habit, does your character, do your words, do your actions serve to expose the works of darkness around you in such a way that it draws others, that it draws a very dark world and invites them to the light of Christ? If we're to be imitators of God, his beloved children need to take these four commands that we've seen in Ephesians chapter five verses seven through fourteen, and I pray that we will put them into practice in our life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for the time that we have had to open it up together as a family tonight. Pray, Father, for anyone who is here, Father, who may be listening elsewhere, that has never come to know you through your son Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for their salvation. I pray that you would open their eyes to their need of a savior, to their sin against you. Father, that they would repent and that they would trust Christ and him alone and not their own works and not their own merits for salvation. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who who want to live lives that are imitators of you, Father. I pray that you would give us grace, Lord, to be free from sin, to avoid these wicked practices that displease you. Father, that you would help us to walk as children of light, that our lives would reflect your holiness as best we can while we're still here on earth. Father, I pray that you would help us, give us a desire to search your word, to be in your word, to know you through your word and to put it into practice. Father, I pray that you would help us, give us wisdom and discretion, especially, Father, in this very dark world that we live in. We pray for grace that you would help us, Lord, to understand and that we would live as children of light in such a way that it exposes the works of darkness, Father. That you would give us wisdom, Father, of when and how to speak up and the best way to do that. And that you would use our lives and that you would use our words to draw others to you for your honor and your glory. Father, we love you and we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sins in our place and on our behalf. And we pray in his name, amen.